Hello, and welcome to the Asking for More podcast. I'm your host, Mazarine Trades. Our systems are broken and we need to ask for more, not just for ourselves, but for every woman that comes after us. If we're going to get through this time, we need to acknowledge the trauma of the last two years and realize there's no such thing as going back to business as usual. That means you need to learn to ask for more, and I want to help you do that. Why should you listen to me? Over the last 12 years, I've helped so many women ask for more in their work, ask for more from systems, and ask for more with salary negotiations. So I decided to put together this podcast and the Asking for More Mastermind. I have the lens of an extremely privileged white, cis, queer, middle-class woman living in North America. What works for me may not work for you, depending on intersecting repression. If I say anything hurtful or harmful, I'm always open and willing to do better. I love helping you ask for more. It's truly my calling and I cannot wait to connect with you. Let's go. Welcome everyone to the Asking for More podcast where today I am so lucky and excited to have Wagatwe Wenjiki speak with me. Um, Thank you so much for being here. I've followed your activism for a long time and um, I'm a member of your Patreon and I believe in your work so much. Um, I can't wait to talk with you about toxic masculinity today. So (laughs) would you like to say a few words about yourself? Yeah, totally. Hi. So my name is Wagatwe and there's a, it's kind of hard to summarize what I do, but I guess I could say I do independent feminist scholarship with a focus on rape prevention through education. And I also do a little side of activism, but I think instead of the activism, I like to train activists and inspire them. So um, most of my focus has been on policy on um around campus sexual assault. And also these days I do a lot of stuff around media, um, traditional media and social media. Mm. Yep, so Title IX and then also like just looking at how people are framing the discourse online is what I'm hearing. Yeah, framing the discourse online, um, even just what media is doing, uh, like traditional media and also just the relationship between the two, right? Like I feel like Um, we are in this age where discourse on social media, right, can trickle up to traditional media and amplify that. And what does that mean when algorithms are biased towards certain groups of people? (laughs) What about that? Oh, my gosh. Oh, that's that's a great question. And I love that. Um, Well, before we get into all of it, uh, what is bringing you joy right now? Ooh, I moved into my little office and that is bringing me joy because I like having a little like a room a specific space to like work and then I can leave it and it's there and I've already noticed that it's like been really helpful so that's bringing me joy that I'm like curating spaces for myself Mm, I love that I love that having a better um delineation between work time and non-work time That sounds really healthy. Um, What's bringing me joy right now are these Trader Joe's flowers that I bought for myself. And um, I get to look at them as I hang out with you and that is bringing me joy. So, yay. so nice. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And I made blini last night with my friend, Dasha, and it was really cute little blinis and we had them with like sour cream and 
um, and smoked salmon and dill, and it was it was chef's kiss. Mm, so, that sounds so awesome. It was. Bring me a lot of joy. Um, uh, <laughs> um, so this podcast is called Asking for More, and so what we really talk about here is, you know, we've we've gotten used to a lot in the society, in this culture. And so um, my goal and my hope in our discussion today is to really kind of unpack some of the things that we've gotten used to in terms of toxic masculinity, and then talk about shifting inside as well as outside to help us do a better job of resilience and resisting. Um, so my first question to you is, um, you know, okay, so a little, I'll just say a little bit when we ask for more, we change the world and one of the ways we ask you can ask is first naming what we were seeing and then asking for a different behavior. So today it's gonna to be about naming. So um, here's the first big question. How can we be traitors to patriarchy? What does that look like? <laughs> yeah, it's a big question. And so, you know, I think the thing is when there's a big question, there's gonna be a million different answers, but I'm gonna try and focus on one that I think can be helpful for the most, most amount of people. So, one of the tools I like to use is feminist theory, right? In feminist theory, we like to try and explain things in a different way or use different frameworks or whatever. And so one framework I really like, because I think it shows the parallels between um, interpersonal violence or relations and also our relationship to systems of oppression. And so I think it's really powerful to think about it through what is your relationship to patriarchy relationally um, and understanding patriarchy as a system. Um, this is not necessarily people. You don't have to be a man. You don't have to be a patriarch to uphold the system because patriarchy gives out different roles to different people, depending on your class, gender, sexuality, et cetera. And so when we think about that, what does it look like to be a traitor to the system? We have to look at the different ideologies. So basically different beliefs and norms, all those, you know, what the patriarchy wants us to do, wants us to be, and um, what behaviors they want us to do to sort of just maintain the status quo. So what does it look like? It's speaking out when you see certain things. I think, um, you know, being subversive to different standards. So um, there's something that I guess we're going to be talking about a lot of it today, right? There's something called hegemonic gender and, you know, hegemonic masculinity and hegemonic femininity. And so, right, hegemonic masculinity is basically, you know, it's a relational construct as well as the way that a lot of feminists like to talk about it. And so um, it basically says that masculinity has to be achieved and it's achieved in a way to maintain domination. So mm. how can you disrupt systems of domination or how can it manifest interpersonally? So um, defending abuse victims, um, organizing a union in your workplace, because that's against domination um you know unlearning uh you know actually making the effort to educate yourself about different toxic messages that patriarchy is sending you through the media being mindful of your media or at least critiquing it um those sort of things i think being traitors to patriarchy is just about like disrupting and questioning your relationship to it and the messages it's telling you about like what you're supposed to do 
Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's a little bit long, but I didn't want to give something specific, but I'm just sort of like this how, because I want people also to like find their own answers. How can we work from a common place, even though we're all going to be doing different things? Because I think that's how you create effective social change that people are actually invested in. You know, I really appreciate you saying that. And while you were talking, you were reminding me of this book by James Altuche called Choose Yourself. And um, I think when people start out on this journey, they think, well, if I just choose myself and don't kind of look at these systems that have a lot of people that are oppressors in them, then I can make a system outside of the system and individualistically overcome dominant systems. But I'm hearing in your answer that there's something wrong with that answer. And it sounds like that's not taking into account everybody else. (laughs) Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily say it's wrong, but I would say it's a different view, right? Right. Um, (laughs) Right. I think part (laughs) of being like into scholarship and being a theorist is like having a tolerance for different points of view. So it's different. I think the way that I've framed it, like just relates to me more. And I think it resonates with a lot of folks Mm -hmm. um, because it's like, how do we think about these issues in a way that we don't opt out, right? Mm -hmm. We need to do more than the bare minimum. And I think a lot of times we talk about systems of oppression as ways to point fingers at other people. And we rarely do it to like, look at ourselves. And I think that is something that has been one of my guiding principles is just sort of like, okay, I don't like oppression. So what can I do to like minimize my contributions to it in my everyday life? What does it mean to, uh, you know, be anti-rape in my everyday life? Uh, You know, those sort of things. I really appreciate that clarification. Yeah, there can be an either or one right way kind of thing. You're totally right. Um, you're reminding me of what Bell Hook says in The Wills of Change about systems of dominance. Um, that's so cool. Um, I think people don't even understand how many dominant systems they currently just accept in the nonprofit mm-hmm. sector, in the world. <laughs> um, so, <Yes. laughs> um, for example, in your assessment of toxic masculinity, we actually, um, there's like a screenshot I took from one of your videos, which is really beautiful, like mm-hmm. diagram of toxic masculinity. You talk about entitlement to women's attention. Could you speak more on this? Yeah, so I think it's a manifestation of domination, actually, right? Because it's just sort of like women are supposed to cater to men. Um, so if we're thinking about toxic masculinity, essentially, it's not saying that all masculinity is toxic, right? It is just talking about the norms of hegemonic masculinity that are toxic to men to women, to children, to everyone, right? People of all genders, all ages, everything. And it's destructive. But what's like, why, the reason why we pull out the concept of toxic masculinity is because of the process of socialization. Um, The best way to talk about socialization is just sort of like how society rewards or punishes people according to social norms. And so the thing is, is that toxic masculinity is talking about these harmful things that are rewarded in men or in certain men, we should say, right? The ones that conform the most to hegemonic masculinity. And so one of the things about hegemonic masculinity is that like men, they have to like earn their place. So it's always about little acts of domination and these sort of things. So um, dominating women's attention and time, that's just sort of another way to show that like 
men are more important, masculinity, men are supposed to be guiding, men are supposed to be telling women what to do. Um, and so this can manifest, you know, very often when uh, like catcalling, right? Um, if you don't respond the right way, they'll get very angry, right? And this law just can often lodge into something called rejection violence. And that is also connected to toxic masculinity because it's just sort of like, they kind of have to recoup the loss of masculinity that they felt by being rejected because you're supposed to earn a woman, you're supposed to get a woman's attention. And so by recuperating that, they do it by um, being violent, being harassing, um, putting them down. And so that's, this is harmful, not only to the victim that he's targeting, but it's also harmful to himself because that's not how you're supposed to relate to people. And I'm sure you're not living a happy life if you're like harassing random women running down the street. <laughs> Suddenly, I want to date you. Yeah. Right. Said no, <laughs> no one ever, I don't think right? anyone has said that. Uh, never. <laughs> exactly. But I even catch myself, like, doing this, like, pre-COVID. I'd be like, oh, I have to look at this man and smile and walk quickly. Like, and then I'll be mm -hmm. safe in this interaction. It's, like, almost like I internalized that, you know, fear of male violence and male dominance into everyday interactions. And mm -hmm. now I wear my mask everywhere. And I'm like, nope. Not looking at yeah. you. Keep walking. <laughs> it's amazing. Just the earbuds. Yeah, yes. exactly. Not looking <laughs> at anyone, right? Going. You get it, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, totally, totally. I love it. Um, yeah, and I think that's that's just sort of like the little ways that we get think about, or in the home, right? So like that's in a public space, but then also in a private space, right? If someone's uh, believes in a hierarchy, where the man's the head of the household, right? He's going to feel entitled to. Um, the woman in a relationship dropping everything at, you know, whenever he wants. So there's just different levels of it and different ways it happens, but it all is about like putting uh, people in their place. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Maintaining dominance, maintaining mm -hmm. hierarchy. Yeah. Yes. And maintaining traditional gender roles as well, which is another mm -hmm. aspect of what you said. Um, yes. Yes, yeah, exactly. And it's like, if you fail to get a woman's attention, right, you're less of a man and then men freak out. Right. So it's also another, it's like a test and men have to sort of, you know, there is part of a test that they're trying to pass. So it's also like, there's like a stake in there for them as well. Mm -hmm. That's a very, very interesting. Thank you for sharing that insight. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really already learning so much from you. I love it. I'm so lucky. Um, another aspect of toxic masculinity that you talked about in your diagram was infantilization of women. What does that look like? Oh. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So, you know, it's really rooted in this idea. You know, if we can think about it in the idea of like uh, Christianity, right? Like Eve is from um, Adam, right? From his rib or whatever, if I recall it correctly. It's been a while since <laughs> I've, I've, I've been to church, but, <laughs> um, you know, so that she's lesser than. And so how does this, this look? Um, I think men are trained to just like think that women don't know things, right? And so that is connected to like this inherent misogynistic mistrust. Um, and so, you know, if a woman says something and she's an expert on it, 
And then a dude comes in who's never thought about it before and says like, no, actually you're wrong, right? Like the concept of mansplaining essentially is very much connected to a fantasization. And then we can say like in a private sphere, again, if we're thinking about like an abusive person, right? Um, the woman has to take orders from the man. And so I think it's really just another way to assert dominance, right? And it's also connected, I think, to how um, toxic masculinity also is about devaluing devaluing children. Like children are also harmed by heteropatriarchy. Um, and they are also a class that is oppressed and then it's very much justified through the system. And so it's just sort of like talking about the proximity between like femininity and childhood or youth or whatever, that sort of thing. So it could also look like, um, media representation. I think very often, uh, it, there can be, I don't know, uh, what was the, my train of thought? I'm like, infantilization of women in media. Yeah, I mean, like, just like different tropes, right? About where, you know, the butt of the joke is that, like, the woman doesn't know anything. She's so silly. I was going to try to think. Modern Family, I think, is one of the, the shows. And, like, there was an immigrant woman and she was just so silly. She's just like a child because she has an accent and she's a woman kind of thing. So there's a lot of different ways and then we can say it manifests structurally or institutionally when we're thinking about um, just how the concept of credibility, right? Um, we think about a lot of the struggles of child abuse victims are connected to like a lot of a lot of women had gone through. And so there's this already this like mistrust. You need to be guided. You can't be trusted to govern. You can't be trusted to uh, control finances, right? You can't be trusted to influence the culture. So it's very much about like, you're being dominated for your own good is essentially the mm -hmm. message. Mm -hmm. And um, to look at media again for a second, um, you were reminding me of the problematic nature of the Pitch Perfect movie. Um, with, uh, which how movie? Sorry. Pitch, pitch Perfect. Mm -hmm. um, like, and how the Asian woman in that um has a tiny little accent and has a tiny little voice and it's just a weirdo, right? So the intersections of racial oppression and gender oppression in that character. And then the black character has to be gay and out for sex all the time. And like, again, intersections of racial oppression, gender oppression. Um, so mm -hmm. that's really interesting to me. And I think if people start to do this work, it's gonna start to change how they view media. And also it's gonna change their taste. <laughs> like, you're not gonna like the same things, you know? Yes, yes. So yeah, they should subscribe to your Patreon because you break this down. Uh, yes. Media critiques all the time. And I am getting so much knowledge from you and your Patreon all the time. And I love it. Also, yeah. you have YouTube videos that people should watch, but your Patreon is where all the real action happens. So yes, they should, yes. They should get in there. Please check it out. I think it's more important than ever, especially if you're on social media, to, to have media literacy. It's mm -hmm. just, it's just so important, especially with disinformation, misinformation. It's so true. And it's, it's hard to know what to believe. And I just love that we have theorists like you coming in and saying, here's what's really happening when they're framing it this way. And maybe, mm -hmm. so case in point, um, my cousin who likes to think of herself as liberal sent me a, uh, an article from the New York Times don't read the New York Times, just don't read it, but he read it. And it said, <laughs> it said, uh, 
get this, um, trans women want to erase the word woman. And, 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 right? And she's like, that's such an interesting article. What do you think? And I'm like, okay, let me break this down for you. This is why <laughs> don't care. <laughs> right. So they, them people are not trying to take away your right to say that you're a woman. And so yeah. it becomes the framing that people miss. They're like, oh, oh, they're against me, you know? So that's one aspect of mm-hmm. how we have to have media literacy because sometimes well-meaning white women can have yeah. oppressive views. So. Yeah, I mean, that's the point. That's why the New York Times does that, right? Like that's why rich people who own the New York Times are willing to push this sort of trans panic because it is about getting people who might be well-meaning but don't have extra context or, or education, right? It's very hard to, to access this sort of, um, you know, theorizing and analysis and philosophizing. Like, it's not easy. America does not make it like, and it's not like they're giving us tons of uh, time to, to learn either. It's usually a, an immense privilege. It is. Um, and uh, I mean, there's so much that's different now than when I like went to school for gender studies as a bachelor's degree, like back in the early aughts. And it's it's fascinating how, you know, there's so much more out there now that unless you're keeping up on it, unless you have time to keep up on it. And my cousin has two little kids, you know, she doesn't really. Um, she's very busy. Mm-hmm. So um, and she's working. So uh yeah, that's why we need people like you to be like, hey, check out the framing here. This is the context. This is why we don't believe this, which leads me to my next <laughs> question for you, actually, which is um, it's related to this article that I just mentioned. What does belief in naturalness and superiority of cisgender hetero people have to do with toxic masculinity? Yeah, I mean, essentially, basically people who ascribe to toxic masculinity are usually uh, transphobic um, homophobic, um, and essentially the ideology is that we are under a system of heteropatriarchy, which is very, a specific kind of patriarchy that, um, essentially because of Christianity, right? Christianity. And I think the Greek patriarch, um, the Greek patriarchal system came together and we have what we have now. And so part of Christianity is that um, what they added to patriarchy is that they want to encourage procreative sex. Um, And so there's very much like this idea of like being abstinent is the most virtuous thing, but like, if you're going to not do it fine, like at least make sure you're a heterosexual marriage, you're in a heterosexual marriage so you can procreate. Um, And this is also a system that is inherently um, associated with white supremacy and colonialism too, right? And so when you want to encourage the nuclear family, heterosexuality is a great way to be controlled under the systems of domination that we have. So not just white supremacy and heteropatriarchy, but um, also capitalism. There's a lot of theorizing around the role of capitalism, and there's even, you know, some Marxist feminists and socialist feminists that have talked about the nuclear family as like a microcosm of our larger systems of domination, right? Where the, you know, the oppressor is essentially the man and he is able to exploit everyone else in the household and enjoy that excess value that comes from exploitation, because that's very much the essence of what exploitation is, right? So it's sort of like the idea of. Um, oppression and privilege. Privilege is basically the things that is siphoned from the oppressed. So when you believe that it's natural, you don't question it. 
And when you don't question our current heteros, um, heteropatriarchal um, ideology, you're going to think, well, men are superior and it's straight men. And if you're gay, that is unnatural. And people don't understand the origins of heteropatriarchy. Like I had, I had, I had no idea. I had no idea. There's all these different types of patriarchy. And then there's a ways where they come together and they merge into this and into that. Like it's, it's so cool. But like, I had to dig in, like stumble into it. Right. And so um, toxic masculinity, basically it's sort of like, I like to think of it as sort of like, all right, so patriarchy, all the systems of oppression technically are designed to benefit the same like greedy 10 billionaire dudes, right? If we're going to think about it, but how do they convince people to let the system to continue? They give little treats, they give little concessions to people who don't have as much um, power, right? And so when men are willing or more willing to be like you know what the, the status quo is fine because we're told that i am naturally superior i'm supposed to be calling the shots and that's how i'm going to cope with being in an oppressive world i really appreciate your contextualizing that um and it's reminding me of caliban and the witch by sylvia federici so if anyone wants to like learn more about how like empire colonialism intersect with the church you know, creating the nuclear family, creating these rigid gender roles um, to get control of more land and more money. Yes, exactly. Right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that's um, something I think that you just alluded to very gently that I wanted to like come back and share like, hey, this is why you not might not be um, uh, questioning this. It's because it's been happening for hundreds of years. Yes, yes, exactly. And I, I'm you glad you, yeah, the colonialism. <laughs> Yeah, yes. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, right, the thinking about nuclear family or thinking about um, heteropatriarchy as a as a tool of genocide, right? For that forced indigenous peoples, not just here um, in the Americas, but like in different parts of the world, right? Like even in Africa, that's been a tool of colonialism. And so we have that, so we see how it being seen as natural. It's also very inherently colonial because it's like if we're natural, then everyone needs to follow our rules. And when everyone follows their rules, right, it helps. Um, there's different there's different rules for different types of you know men, right? So hegemonic masculinity is ultimately for white men, but if everyone follows the rules, right, the white people they're able to um, if they get a nuclear family, right, you get more land. So then it's another way to like steal land, to keep stealing land from indigenous peoples, which is something that we, I rarely see talked about, but yeah. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, we have made some strides recently in terms of like um, land getting the land back movement. We have gotten some people getting their land back, but it's still like a very long way to go. And, you know, um, it's not just about like, uh, like far off matriarchy, far off, you know, like matrilineal societies are like you know multiple pods of people taking care of kids and not really worrying about what marriage is like it's it's more about like domination as you said control domination um and we're seeing this today i mean less people think that this is not happening just mm -hmm. this week idaho's like let's not have drag pe people in drag anymore <laughs> you know and then like all these people um you know, saying, oh, you can't have drag queen story hour in libraries and we're going to ban all these LGBTQ books. I mean, this is still happening. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So this is why this is relevant. People listening right now, like, where's this come from? And then maybe at the end of the you know chat today, we'll talk about where do we go from here. Um, but yeah, um, why is individualism and self-sufficiency part of toxic masculinity? 
Yes. So this is, um, you know, it's not inherently bad, right? Like it's not bad to want to be self-sufficient. Um, however, when it comes to toxic masculinity, essentially when we're thinking about hegemonic masculinity, the kind of self-sufficiency they're talking about is that basically you can't depend on other people. You need to be dependent, like depended on. So it's just like another way to sort of justify, right? Like men are supposed to be getting economic um, benefits, right? You're supposed to get the car, the flashy things. You're supposed to do all these things, um, but you have to do it yourself. Or if you do achieve those things, you think that you did it yourself, right? Because if you worked with other people, that's like, that's like, that's feminine. That's weak. I don't want to be like that. Right. So you have to claim this self-sufficiency and individualism. And it also provides a way to normalize um, how things can be for abusers. Right. Where it's just sort of like, um, they're only looking out for themselves. They think about relationships transactionally rather than being way more relational and effective, right? About feelings and sort of stuff like that. So um, it's just another way, one way that um, I really like the way that Patricia Hill Collins talks about hegemonic gender, hegemonic masculinity versus femininity. And so the way she talked about it was that like hegemonic masculinity, you kind of have to earn it. You have to do these actions. You have to get the hot wife. You have to get the car. You have to get the home. You have to get the family. Um, hegemonic femininity is kind of passive. It's like either you have it or you don't more or less, right? You have to be chosen to be the hot wife. Okay. How do you become a hot wife? You more or less have to be born to look a certain way, right? Cause like, yeah, you can do makeup, you can do plastic surgery, but you can only go up the ladder so much. Um, and so thinking about how that can really feed into men have to buy themselves, work on it, earn these things. So, and cause, or else they're a failure, right? Cause again, we have to remember hegemonic masculinity is sort of like a benchmark. It's a thing. It's like, this is what men are supposed to be. And if they're not they're failures or they're less manly. And like, what does that mean in our patriarchal society? What do they do to men who are seen as less manly? Mm-hmm. They, they, they police them, they attack them. Mm-hmm, exactly and that's part of the the drag queen um the war on drag queens yeah <laughs> yep yep mm-hmm. yep and it's see how they're willing to limit free speech to do that right toxic masculinity like they're not of they're not conforming to heteropatriarchal norms and this is what we get yes yes so that's again like how you know sexuality and class um and gender oppression intersect um, so I love that we're bringing in all these different pieces in this conversation. It feels very rich to me. This feels very like, ooh, so juicy. Um, and uh, yeah, like I, I totally have seen this with people that have really followed the party line, the individualism, the self-sufficiency. What they don't realize is that nobody gets anywhere on their own. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And much of what they have is because of their relationships and the privilege that they have, as you said, um, how people are uh, uh, sort of like their privilege comes from other people's, you know, just taking what other people have, you know, and I think mm-hmm. that that's really, that's really scary for a white cisgendered hetero male to look at because then he, as my brother tells me, feels like um, he didn't earn 
what he has and he should be ashamed. Yikes. And I think that's how fear, <laughs> fear in white supremacy kind of plays into this. Mm-hmm. Totally. What do you think totally. of that? Yeah. I mean, I think that's what there's like that version of soft power, right? Where it's that threat. Yeah. People, there's a threat of shame. And then because of toxic masculinity, uh, men are very resistant to go to therapy to deal with that shame. Cause like shame is a, is a trauma response. It can be there. It might, it might be fostering feelings. I get it, but it doesn't mean that he doesn't have a responsibility to address it. Right. But then we see how toxic masculinity is like, um, don't be like a woman, right? Don't do this. Don't talk about your feelings. And so they don't want to sort of get that, that help, unfortunately. And I would wanted to add, um, one of the bad things also, one of the negatives about the self-sufficiency and individualism is that it kind of helps them justify exploiting others, right? Every man for himself. And you have this scarcity mindset because if everyone is by themselves, out for themselves, and there's only so much of whatever they want left, then I got to do whatever it takes. Right, right. And this plays into like our current economic model by looking at people basically privatizing the retirement by buying a house be like well got mine screw you you know like i'm good instead of thinking like how do we collectively build power so that we actually have enough in retirement to not have to worry even if we live in an apartment um so um there's actually a wonderful podcast called the upstream podcast and they have a guy there i forget the interview now but we can look at the show notes if you're just talking to um, there's this block of rent-controlled apartments um, in a building that's owned by a collective in New York City, and it's like, we are trying to change this model on our scale. So there's hope. We don't all have to there's privatize our retirements. Yes, there is. <laughs> um, so how can we um, ask for more from toxic masculinity? What does that look like? So I don't think we should be talking to toxic masculinity, but uh, no, I mean, the thing is, is like, I think we should be asking more from other people in terms of the relationship to masculinity. Cause what I was thinking is like, we just need to talk about healthy masculinities. Like, again, like the reactionaries and the right wing and the conservatives are like, oh, they're, the feminists are calling all masculinity toxic. And it's like, no, um, we just believe that there are healthy manifestations. You can have the values of wanting to like take care of others and, you know, be a provider. There are healthy manifestations of things that still conform to hegemonic masculinity. And so I think that's where we have to start is to sort of like, how can we um, think about and talk about the different ways that people can express their masculinity in ways that are not harmful to everyone, including themselves, right? I think that's the thing is like, we rarely talk about in a productive way. That's not like making excuses for men or whatever, in a way of like, you know, it it hurts y'all too. You know, we're all miserable. We're not having a good time. Like let's, let's regroup. (laughs) Well, I mean, when I think about how this relates to me as a as a, a white cis woman, um, even if I'm not hetero, like 
Um, I see the way that I've been kind of like having conferences and being in charge and being the explainer and taking over spaces with um, immigrant women, you know, women of color in it or marginalized people in it. Um, that's another aspect of this. Uh, that's how whiteness affects, right? Like people like feeling like maybe they even have to act more masculine to be heard, understood and, you know, respected. Right. So there's this aspect of internalized toxic masculinity as well that women can have. Um, and so this year, my experiment has been <laughs> organizing a conference and not being in charge and just being like, hey, I want black women to lead me. I want you to do it. Please do it. And they're like, yes, we will. And I'm like, if I'm doing anything impressive, please let me know. And I just want to support. And like, that's going really well. And I want anyone who's white listening to this to understand that it's so wonderful to let go of control. You have no idea how wonderful it is to let go of mm. fucking control. <laughs> mm. I am living proof. I'm such a happier person <laughs> when you let go. And you can't let go. And there's not like a limited amount of power. There's infinite pie, infinite power for all of us. But exactly. realizing you don't have to be the one to fix things and be in charge. If you're a hetero white man listening to this, um, it's actually really nice to just be a support. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Let go. Right. Yeah. Don't always have to be in control all the time. Um, there are different lessons to learn from different positions in our relationships to other people, too. You know, like Absolutely. it's also a way of like self-development and self-empowerment and empowerment. <laughs> it is. And that's actually something we are kind of leading up to the next question. Um, how can we push back against the misogyny inside of ourselves as women? if our women listening mm. or people who are racist women. Yeah, I mean, I think that's something that has to be done consistently, like education. So what first popped into my mind when you asked that is thinking about the the consciousness raising groups, right? Back in like the 1970s amongst women where they just chatted and then they realized how there's so many commonalities with their with their, um, their experiences. And I think part of it is understanding um, womanhood, not as this like very fixed finite thing, because that's what patriarchy wants, but rather um, a political, a socio-political class. It's socially constructed and it has a political meaning and it will manifest in different ways, right? But we're still in this category. So how can we mobilize together? So just sort of thinking about what are these beliefs that are self-defeating for me and also defeating my, um, maybe a drive to co for collective action, right? Because it's not just about getting your own, getting into these um, institutions, right? That's one of the downfalls of like liberal activism is that it was, it got very individualistic. What you want is redistribution of power. You don't want just to have some individuals have power. You literally understand how it is now is unfair. So let's, you know, dismantle all of it and rebuild. I love that. I think that is a very, very smart answer. And again, it comes back to that individualistic nature and just pulling back from that. Whether you grew up in like American culture or Canadian culture, wherever you're listening to this, um, you know, it's something that has actually infected the world in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it'd be wonderful if we started thinking more, as you said, about how can we take these systems of dominance and turn them around and be like, let's notice these and then let's like pull away from them and make a different system. So yes. um, anything else you'd like to add about toxic masculinity or anything like that? 
Hmm, let me see. I'm gonna double check on my notes. Do, do, do. Oh, I think we we did uh pretty well. Yeah. Excellent. Okay. Mm -hmm. What is um uh, I hope everybody has learned from this conversation. I think it's incredibly powerful. Um, and before we end, I would like to ask you uh i would say hanging out with my niece she's mm. really cute and she's one and a half and she's so much energy but so fun <laughs> mm, i love that i love yeah. that you know um i think little kids really can be so hopeful and cheerful and it's and it's the best it's the best it's especially when she sees me and she like screams with excitement and she's like oh. and I was like oh. yes my my little bestie <laughs> <laughs> you know what's bringing me hope is something similar I went to see my friend Vanessa in um Victoria BC and I haven't traveled all year but I took the ferry and it was so 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 fun to see her little one who's two and a half Aww. and we like played together we read books together and I was like what a cutie and then she was like let's go to the beach and I'm gonna give you all the little sea glass pieces I find and I'm like thank you for mispronouncing my name and like being so Aww. cute and I hope that I can come back so you can remember me again. <laughs> <laughs> yes yes the babies are the best I love them so much like ah I'm so glad I get to like have a niece now that I get to hang out with like it's, yeah I don't want my own kid but I will love the heck out of my niece <laughs> same <laughs> honestly same um <laughs> so um how can people reach you if they want to support your work and where should they go Yes. So you basically find me on social media. Uh, Wagatwe is my handle everywhere, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, even. Uh, but to support my work directly, Patreon, you can be a monthly uh, supporter. And then I also have a GoFundMe for my therapy fund because um, turns out doing this work needs um good mental health and <laughs> i'd love to keep having access because i have not had access for a really long time so folks have been supporting me and oh i just love being able to study what i do right into focus and not have to worry about um some other boss's agenda so yeah I love that. And I want to go give to your therapy fund right now. I'm actually going to have therapy right after Thank this. You. So yay for therapy. Yay for therapy. Everyone, everyone should go. Yes, I, I love it. <laughs> yeah well thank you thank you so much and everyone thank you for listening to the asking for more podcast um I hope you go give to that way right now and have a wonderful rest of your day that's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening today. If you like today's show, please share it with another woman in your life. Go on iTunes and Apple Podcasts and leave a good review. It always helps people find us. And if you'd like to learn more about Asking for More, I have uh, a mastermind called Asking for More. If you go to askingformore.com and I'd love to uh, invite you to join us. So feel free to go check that out and see you next time. The Asking for More podcast was produced by Javelin Consort of Contessa Digital, and the intro and outro music is Brastronaut Bounce.